Welcome to the Always Great Podcast. This is your host, Asa and Chase. How are you guys doing today? What's going on? So we have a really special guest on the on the show today. He goes by Wonder. He's an amazing music producer. I found him on YouTube and was mesmerized with this stuff. I found him producing um and releasing a, a string of pop type beats. And I was like super interested because I hadn't seen anybody else do that on YouTube yet. Um, with Khalid type beats, Justin Bieber type beats, and I was just like, wow, this is this is some really unique stuff. And I was super interested in it because I had never tried to do that. I'd always stuck with more trap type stuff. And it definitely pushed my music to a different level. And I immediately reached out to him and was letting him know that I was a super big fan of what he was doing. Um, and we were, we've been consistently talking now for a while. And I'm super excited to have him on the show. So, Wonder, how you doing? Yo, yo, I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. Awesome. So, why don't you walk us through how you got started with music production. If that was something you always wanted to do. Or if it just kind of fell on your lap. Or like, just walk us through your story of how you got started with music. Yeah, so um, I think my freshman year of high school, they gave us all like Mac laptops for uh, classes and stuff. And I started playing around in GarageBand. And I mean, I I was making beats and stuff in there. But I mean, obviously in GarageBand, they weren't that great. Um, And then for Christmas of that year, I asked for Logic, got Logic. And I've just been messing around in that. And then it kind of just one thing led to another. And I eventually just figured... I'm doing this so much, I might as well try to sell the beats. And like that's a whole nother process. It took me about two years before I actually made my first sale. But um So from yeah. the moment where you decided you wanted to sell beats, like what moment was that? How old were you? I was probably I was probably fifteen. At 15, the time. It took you I'm nineteen two years now. from there. Yeah. Wow. So um I think I think it was two years after I started my channel that I made my first sale. And then it took me another year to make another sale. But um, so I guess in three years, I, I probably made two sales. And so that was, but I just like making beats. So I didn't really care about the money. But um, yeah, since then, it's gotten a lot better. But, so um, are you you're getting consistent sales now? Like every month they're coming in? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and for YouTube, when did you start pushing that real hard? Well, I got I got pretty lucky. So in February of 2017, Khalid, which you mentioned, I make Khalid type beats. Um, his song "Location" was just starting to blow up, right? And I was the first producer on YouTube to put out a Khalid type beat, and I did it like four weeks before his album came out. And I just got very fortunate. YouTube algorithm promoted that a lot, and I ended up having the number one Khalid type beat for over a year. And he's kind of just continued to blow up. And that really helped my channel grow and helped me with sales. So that, that was probably when it really started to become an actual steady income. And actually, I started getting a good amount of following and traction. Gotcha, man. That really worked out lucky or really worked out really well for you. Because um, like I've tried to do that type of thing and like timing with the release of a, of a new album for an anticipated artist. And like it just has not gone that way for me. But um, there's a lot of variables going into that too, because like you'd already been producing for like two and a half, three years at that point. Then, yeah, like three yeah. years, two years. Gotcha. Yeah. So like, I mean, I've we were just talking about it beforehand too, and I was only I'm only a little over a year into the actual music production side of things. So I got a lot of way, long ways to go until I get to a point where I'm anywhere near your ability right now. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, a lot man. of your stuff includes um some live guitar. And is that you on the guitar or is that like buddies? So how, how does kinda, that work? I don't play guitar. Um, it just depends on the beat. Sometimes it's a sample from Splice or I've, I've been recent. Recently, I haven't been using Splice just because everyone's using the same sample and it gets kind of annoying and you get you have a lot of trouble with uh, copyright issues and stuff. I, I get a ton of false claims on beats that use guitar loops from Splice. So I, I have a couple of friends now both that I've met at college and that I've just met over Instagram that have played loops for me. And that that's kind of what I've been doing now. And that process of collaboration with them, um, did that feel pretty natural? Or was it something that you like you seeked out to make happen? So do you mean like did the connection happen naturally or was it like I was out there searching for a guitarist? Yeah, exactly. Both, I guess. I mean... I've had guitarists hit me up and say, I really like your beats. I'd love to play on them. And then I've also, I've personally 
like seeing people on Instagram playing guitar and been like, I love how you play. Like I love to work together. So I mean, it's happened both, I guess. But yeah, like, I gotcha. guess it'd be both. Um, and you've collaborated with people um just for like getting the guitars and stuff. And like, have you ever done collabs with other producers on the actual beats themselves and not just like getting um particular loops? Yeah, so I have a, a friend that I, I work with a lot named Audio MG. And um he sent me a song, he sent me a song, a Sean Mendez song and said we should make something like this. So then I hit up one of my friends that's a guitarist. I sent him the song and said, Do you think you could come up with a similar guitar style or loop? And he did. And then he sent it back and then we worked on it. And then it turned out to be a really cool beat. So I mean, yeah, that has happened. And I actually like doing that a lot. It's a lot of fun. Do you collab just over uh, like email and text and stuff, or like have you ever been in the studio with somebody? So at college, um, I've I've collabed with people in person, but beyond that, no, it's usually just through email stuff like that. I mean, I'd like to go to the studios, but for where I'm at in Ohio, where I live, there's there's not a whole lot in terms of like talented producers and stuff going to the right, studio. right, yeah. Uh, have you like? If you could pick one artist, which one would you pick then? Would it be Khalid? To, to work, work with, with in the studio? Um, yeah. Yeah, it'd probably be Khalid or Sean Mendes. Probably be my top two. Because I'm just really into that guitar laid back kind of pop acoustic style. So yeah. Gotcha, it'd, yeah. It'd probably be I was about two. to ask, like, how did you gravitate towards that style versus like what a lot of other YouTube producers they do a lot of trap stuff? Um, how did you gravitate towards that? Just because that's what you liked? Well, I mean, in my first two years of producing, all I made were trap beats. And honestly, the first pop beat that I made was the one that blew up. So I was like, all right. <laughs> I mean, it kind of just, I was like, this is what's selling. So this is what I'll make. And that's kind of just how it came to be. Honestly, I like making trap beats, but I've just found that pop beats sell a lot better. So I've just been doing that ever since the one Khalid beat blew up. Um, and doing the selling of the beats, like, do you classify yourself as an entrepreneur? I mean, yeah, I definitely would classify myself as an entrepreneur because, I mean, I feel like I'm out selling things, I'm making the product, I'm promoting the product. And I feel like when you're in control of every single aspect of a business and you're trying to make it grow, I mean, it'd be hard not to say that yeah. you're doing something entrepreneurial. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But I think there's a lot of artists out there who they don't they don't grasp the concept of once you try to monetize an art form, you're becoming an entrepreneur. You're trying to make a business out of what you're doing. And they don't understand that they are now business people. And it's a totally different uh, mindset and skill set that's required to be successful. Because you can be an amazing artist, but if you're not, if you don't have the business skills to go with that, then you're not going to have a successful business, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think to add to that, I think especially on the online producer side, I feel like a lot of young, I feel like a lot of people start out when they're 14, 15, 16, just making beats and posting them. And they don't really think about, all right, what if this starts blowing up? Like they don't think about, oh, now I need to start doing artwork. I need to do marketing. I need to do all these different things. Cause a lot of times I feel like they just want to make music. And I know I struggle that, with that a lot. I think, all right, I got to make an, I got to send an email out to my email list. I've got to render out the video in Adobe. And it becomes a lot more than just making music. And I feel like a lot of people don't actually want that. They just want to make the music. And so they don't think about the business side of things and how to actually grow it. Yeah, it took me a while to uh, realize how much effort it really was. Because I started and like I did the same thing. I just I was just putting beats out. But like I knew immediately that like where I wanted to go with my YouTube. Um, so I was trying to make like my beats visually appealing, my visualizers. I tried to make them look good and like be on a particular theme. Um, but I wasn't putting as nearly as much effort as I felt I needed to um, after the fact. So it was definitely a learning curve there to realize how much effort is required to uh, monetize your content like that. Oh, no doubt. Jace, how do you feel about that with uh, coming with your background in photography and like trying to monetize that through uh, like Instagram and stuff, Twitter? I think you have to be careful with how you do it because it can definitely take away from the art and when you start to focus too much on the business side um, since it's associated directly with your art it can kind of suck the fun out of what you're making you know if you're making for the intent to sell at least in my experience how yeah, do you I mean, not go going off that i think finding the balance is one of the hardest things that i dealt with with making music because 
some days it's just all I want to do is make music, but I have to get a video out at 12 p.m. on Saturday every single week. And, you know, it takes time to find the artwork. It takes time to render out the video. It takes time to post it. And that that was probably one of the hardest things that I struggled with was finding that balance between the two. Have you learned to enjoy the business side of things now or is it still a struggle? For me, I'm I'm more business minded than I am musically minded. And I always want it like I've always wanted to run a business and this is just kind of what it's become. And so for me, it hasn't been that hard because I do like thinking about, okay, how do I market? How do I do all this stuff? But um, I don't think it's been it's just been hard because sometimes it, it can be draining to do all the business stuff and stuff to make music. And it does kill the creativity because there's not a whole lot of creativity when you're thinking about like sending out an email list and doing all that kind of stuff. Well, I was just about to ask actually, like, how do you feel about like the marketing? What do you do for marketing when you, when you're approaching Like you have this new beat, you're super excited about it. What's your game plan for it? Yeah. So I do Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I run ads on BeatStars. I do. Or do you run ads uh, on Facebook and Instagram or do you just post about it? I do, but I run ads on both and I post okay. about it. Um, sort of think. Yeah. I usually, I, I usually just tend to run it on Google AdWords, but then if a beat really starts to pick up and I think it'll do well, then I'll, I'll start advertising it on Facebook and Instagram. And then that usually, I only advertise the beats that I know will sell well on Facebook and Instagram, but I advertise all my beats through Google AdWords. Why is that? Like, where'd you learn that trick? Or like, what are you doing with that? Because I've never even heard of that um, for a music producer to do that type of marketing. Um... I mean, it kind of just happened over the course of making, uh, like the over the course of the four years, it's kind of just gradually grown into what it is now. It didn't, it not, it's kind of, I would say it started out with just Google AdWords. I'd, I'd spend like 10 bucks a video, just per, but like it was really, I didn't know how to target. I didn't know how to do any like keyword things. So it was kind of a waste. Right. But um, I mean, you have to do that kind of stuff to learn, but it's kind of gradually grown into, I did AdWords and then I started running ads on BeatStars. And then just this year, kind of at the beginning of the year, I started running ads on Facebook and Instagram and learning how to do that. And now it's kind of just all become one thing. It's kind of like a process now, like a system. Right. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten into the actual promotion yet because, um, well, I'm still trying to get to a place where I'm getting consistent sales. So I don't feel like I'm dipping into... Uh, funds that don't exist yet. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm, like, I mean. I'm, tr- I'm trying to like get that, get some revenue going before I start promoting it through Facebook and Instagram. But um, what, is that how it went for you? You just like started making sales and then you're like, hey, maybe I should like get into the marketing side of this. Or was it like you were like, all right, I've made a couple sales, but I want to keep going with this. And then you started pushing the marketing before you got sales. So I would, I was not getting sales when I started running marketing. But the reason why I wasn't getting sales from the marketing is because I wasn't targeting my AdWords. I would just post it up and there's certain things you can do to make it more effective. And I wasn't doing those things. So I was just basically spending money and getting views that were not targeted to artists. So I I didn't, I had, like I said, I got like two sales in three years. So, I mean, I had those two sales while I was doing it, but I I was more luck than anything else. Yeah. Those were, those were just random sales. I don't even, I don't know how they found the beat because at the time my YouTube only had like 90 subscribers. But um, no, I think once I figured out how to do marketing right though, it definitely has increased my sales. So I do think now my marketing leads to more sales, but it didn't for the first three years that I was doing it. And did you learn about marketing just through trial and error or did you have a resource that you like to look at and learn from? So I would I would say for AdWords and BeatStars, it was just trial and error. I think, I mean, I spent probably $1,000 on Google AdWords before I figured out how to actually use it correctly. And I mean, that was over the course of like two or three years, but it was a lot of trial and error. For BeatStars, I mean, it's pretty straightforward on BeatStars. I mean, every person on there is either a producer or an artist pretty much, so you don't have to worry about targeting too much. And then for Facebook and Instagram, I mean, it's been a mixture of tutorials. Uh, other producers have shown me kind of how to do how they run their marketing. And then I work with um, AudioMG a lot, like I just previously mentioned. And right. we kind of are talking about like how to market and stuff. 
So, I mean, it's a lot of collaborative work in terms of like figuring out how to, you know, market the best way. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, how did your relationship with AudioMG start? Did he, did you hit him up? Did he hit you up? Or like, what was, how was that relationship for him? He had an ad going that, and he, at the time he wasn't very good at targeting his ads. So his ads were like always showing the producers and I kept seeing the same ad over and over again. It was a, it was an in-stream ad. So it showed up before you clicked on a video on YouTube. Right. And it kept showing, I probably saw it 30 times within like the span of a month. I was like, it was an amazing beat, but like I could tell he wasn't marketing it right. So I commented on it. I like, I love your work. Uh, I'd love to work with you. And I sent him an idea and it's kind of, I think we've done like 10 or 11 beats now, but that was at the beginning of the year. But yeah, he, we, we have a really good relationship together in terms of like how we work together. And I think our styles complement each other a lot. Right. Uh, when y'all work together, do you both like work on the melody and you both work on the drums or do you kind of split that 50, 50 or what? I mean, it's, it's pretty much sometimes he'll send me an idea that has a melody and I'll add the drums or sometimes it'll be vice versa. It, it's not really a set way that we go about it, but yeah, there's definitely things he's really good with like making boxes and stuff and like doing weird things with vocals and chopping that up. So he does that a lot. Um, he's a professional engineer, audio engineer in uh, Germany. So he's just an amazing, he's great at mixing and mastering. So he usually does that. And then I'm I'm good at creating kind of an atmosphere. And so I, I usually do that and then some drum work. But I mean, I think our styles kind of complement each other. And it just, it doesn't really have one set way that it always goes. Right, yeah. Everything's going to be different and unique. But I know that for most of the collabs that I've done, um, it was hitting each other up on Instagram and then being like, all right, cool. Like, I'll send you some melodies. You send me some melodies and then we'll do the drums for each of them. Um, that's kind of like kind of the extent of the working together that we did. So it wasn't like very in-depth or anything. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. And the, one thing that I notice a lot now, and I did the same thing when I was first starting out, is um, people will hit me up and they'll say, I want to collab with you and I'll give them my email. And the thing that I, I don't like that they do is they, they just send one melody. And like sometimes it's just a melody from Splice. Like when, when Audio MG and I collab, I mean, I'm sending him like a beat that's already got 20 files to it, you know? Like, yeah. it's, it's more him and I, we don't just send, okay, here's one melody that I came up with. You do the rest. It's really like he'll do, he'll add 20 instruments to it. I'll add 20 instruments to it. And then we'll have this really nice beat. But these younger producers are the ones that are just starting out. They'll just send you a loop and they won't send you the key. They won't send you the BPM. They, they don't have the MIDI file. Like, it'll just be from Splice and that. I really, I think that that's probably my biggest pet peeve when people like hit me up for collabs. Do you see a lot of people using Splice just like over YouTube? Because I've never been interested in trying it just because I feel like I, I enjoy making the melodies. So there's no point in doing that for me. I don't want to like just cheat. I, I feel like it's almost cheating using melodies like that. How do you feel about it? I like, don't, I don't use, I when it, when I started out using it, I did use melodies from it a lot. Mainly just guitars because I don't know how to play guitar. Um, but I think, honestly, if I was a producer just starting out, I could have saved so much money just using Splice because they have every single drum sound you could ever want on there. And it's only like seven bucks a month. And I probably spent $600 on drum kits and stuff when I first started out just because like, I had no idea where to go. I had no idea where to get sounds. So I, I personally like it a lot. I do think that some people use it as a crutch more than they should. But at the same time, it's a good... like I would have never found my style and if I didn't use Splice, because now I don't use the guitars from Splice, but I get guitars to play similar things like that. So I right. think it can be a good way to find your style. But yeah, I don't think people, I think people do use it as a crush more than they should. Yeah, I can agree with that because I don't know. I didn't, I was never interested in it, but I also had um, a mentor here like really got me set up with some pretty solid foundations and got me some good drum kits. Um, and so I felt like I was starting out at a pretty good level. And then everything else was just like experience and having to do it by just by hand and figure it out. You know, there's some of it that you can't learn. It's just an experience thing. Um, so I was pretty blessed to have that. But I feel like, like you said, a lot of people use it way too much as a, as a crutch and they don't want to get dirty with it and make their sounds unique to themselves, you know? I and mean, I think another problem that a lot of producers have, I don't know how it is for FL, but 
I mean, Logic has a lot of nice stock sounds, but they get old pretty quick. And unless you want to rip like Omnisphere or Nexus off of the internet, it's kind of hard to get cool sounds. And I think one thing that Splice has is a lot of loops that use a lot of cool sounds. So I think that's one reason why a lot of people do it. But um, yeah, I do think it might be a little overused. But I think it's also at the same time, the the op, they give you so many other things to do other than take melodies. I mean, they have every sound you could ever want. They have a ton of different atmospheres. And I, that's what I use it for. I use it for finding atmospheres and sounds mostly. When you say that use atmospheres, like, um, is it literally just like almost like a soundscape type of thing? Or is it like a pad that you can use? No, it'll be like um, a vinyl or I don't know, just like waves okay, or something. Okay, yeah, yeah, gotcha, they gotcha. They have really like kind of movies, sound, sounds you'd hear in a movie. Yeah, you know? no, I got you, I got you. Yeah, I like yeah. doing that stuff too, but I don't do it very often. Uh, I feel like I haven't figured out the best way to go about using that stuff. Because when I use it, it doesn't, it doesn't fit in there quite right yet. Yeah, it'd be kind of tough for trap beats, but for pop beats, it it fits pretty well, especially for an intro. That's my favorite thing to make is the intro. And so, I don't know, I spend a lot of time making the intro and then like very little time on everything else. How do you feel about people who say YouTube is a way oversaturated market? I I don't agree with that because the people that are saying that are the people that probably are only making trap beats. And I would say that's the only area on YouTube that is oversaturated because it's the easiest thing to do. And I think that if you go outside of the trap producer area on YouTube, I mean, there's very few producers that are making really good pop beats. There's very few producers that are making very good like dance hall beats. And I think if you go into those, that's the problem that producers start. They start out and they start out making trap beats and then they get sucked into that and then they never try to make anything else. And so when they post up their videos, they're competing against a thousand other producers that are making trap beats. Whereas like me, there's probably a hundred to 150 good producers making pop beats on the internet. Whereas trap beats, they're everywhere. Right. It's easy to make. So I don't think it's oversaturated. Do you think it's oversaturated? Um, Well, yeah, but I mean, you're right. I I do mainly focus on the trap beats and I have been experimenting trying to make some like reggaeton beats and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I definitely focus on trap stuff. But that being said, though, me as an artist, like I don't, I'm not, I wouldn't really consider myself a trap artist. Um, and I make beats for myself. I don't, I don't make beats to try and sell to artists. I don't make beats to try and impress anyone else. Like I, if I like the music, great. Like that's a good beat. Then that's that's the only criteria that I use. And so I think because of that, I have like a pretty unique style. But it would definitely be trap focused. So yeah, I do think YouTube is saturated, but I don't care about it necessarily. Like I think that's an excuse to blame youtube it's an excuse to not put your best effort your best foot forward in it um because there's still opportunity to go there like you said you have to you have to find a niche that fits you yeah Um, that's key like if you're just going to be out there and you're going to be a cookie cookie cutter trap producer then like yeah you're not really going to pop off because there's already a thousand of them that are so freaking good like you're never going to be able to catch up to them you got to find and do something that's unique so, yeah, I mean, I guess I agree pretty much with exactly what you said. I just phrased it a little bit different. Yeah, and, and going back off that, I think that trap beats are also kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say that they're dying. They're not. But I think that there's other styles of music that are becoming a lot more popular. When I started in 2015, 2014, I, I don't know what year it was, but um, I mean, that was kind of like every... you you didn't see very many producers making pop beats. You didn't see very many dance hall beats. But I feel like there's been a lot of styles that have uh, kind of come up in the past two years that have opened the doors for our internet producers to start going into that niche. But when I when I started, I felt like you kind of only had trap on the internet. So I think it's even more open than it was two to three years ago. Yeah, I can agree with that too because like as the internet progresses and as the music industry changes and we are allowed to accept more sounds because the gatekeepers of the music industry are no longer just the record labels. So it's, it's Spotify really and Apple music. Mm-hmm. They're the oh, gatekeepers. You, and the people that if, run the playlist at Spotify and Apple music, those are the people you want to know. You don't want to know. It doesn't matter if you know a record label, if you know the people that control rap caviar and stuff like that, I mean, that's all you need. That's what you need. Right. Exactly. And they're kind of, 
like even that is still a very very focused area of the music industry and the, but with Spotify and like the way that they make other playlists not just rap caviar like they have so many other smaller playlists and then like the algorithms that they use to make your discover weekly playlist and stuff like that that's where a lot of other unique sounding artists have a chance to get through and break through um and get discovered and with that then producers on the internet we have the chance to go and make beats for those type of artists who are super unique and they don't fit in anywhere in the mainstream music industry so i i can totally agree and see like why you're saying what you're saying because we definitely have more opportunity and more space to make music for unique sounding artists that hasn't been heard before that hasn't been done before like trap music has it's very i don't want to say overdone because like it's obviously still very essential to the culture but like it's yeah very, it's been a while it's been around for a while so yeah people that have been doing it have been making trap beats for six to seven to eight years you can't expect to catch up to someone that's been doing it for eight years that style but these new styles like dance hall and you know some of the acoustic pop stuff that you're hearing from khalid and Sean Mendez and Billy Ellish, it's only been around for a couple of years. So you can you can be, you know, one of the early pioneers in that space on the internet. And I mean, that's honestly how I've been able to grow has been targeting the Khalid type beats. I think I don't know if I still am, but for over like a year and a half, I was the number one Khalid type producer on YouTube. And that's helped me grow so much. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it at all that you still are because I, I don't see any other producers that are doing it and if they are they're definitely not nearly at the same quality that yours are so yeah i can definitely see that and then like going back like as you pointed out sean mendez khalid billy eilish like those are three artists how many other artists are going to come up with similar sounds in that in that little subgenre of pop music you know like they're very young they're just the beginning of that type of genre that type of music coming out and, and so, another thing that i i would that i don't think a lot of when you're first starting out, producers think about, and I know you probably don't because you're your own artist and you kind of make beats for yourself, but when most producers start out, they make trap beats. And I mean, you got to think about the end consumer. Most people buying trap beats, like a lot of them just rip them off YouTube. I'm not trying to stereotype the people that buy trap beats, but I feel like people that are going to buy pop beats, they're usually more established. They're usually more serious about their work because if they're writing to a pop beat, I think that they're going to be spending more time on it because pop beats are usually more intricate. And so I think the consumer that's buying pop beats, one will spend more. So they'll, they'll be more likely to buy your unlimited track outs and stuff like that. And they're less likely to rip them off YouTube and stuff. So I think there's more money in the pop side of it. Unless you're like, obviously if you're cash money AP or one of the biggest people like beats era, yeah, you're going to be able to make a lot of money from trap beats. But if you're just starting out, your consumer is going to have more money, I think, if you're making a pop beat or a reggaeton beat or something like that. Well, that's interesting. I never even thought about it in that type of sense. I was more thinking of it like, like you mentioned uh, Cash Money AP. I think of like Young Taylor and Cody and like those producers who aren't like mega huge, but like they're still a lot bigger than the majority of YouTubers. Um, and like, I mean, when I was first rapping, those I, I only used Young Taylor type beats or Young Taylor beats. Like that was it. I would just go on YouTube, Young Taylor, just go scroll through his catalog and find a beat from him and then uh, use that. And But would you buy it or would you, would you download uh, no, it? No, I, I would just rip it off because I would use it for yeah. free. And like most of his stuff, like I would, most of his beats were for free for nonprofit. Um, and then I, I got to the point where I was like, I want to put it on Spotify. I don't want to be just a SoundCloud okay. rapper. And to do that, you'd either have to buy it or make your own beats. So that's why like I made that step to go ahead and start making beats. Um, and see, the other thing is, it's real. I'm, I'm not trying to say it's like, I, I think the one thing that you just said right there is you want, you decided you want to make your own trap beats and beats in general. I think a lot of people that are, are making music, specifically rappers, they just figure, why not just do it myself? Because it's, it's not that hard to just get FL and make a trap beat. But I think for, you know, pop beats and stuff that's more intricate, it requires a different skill level that most artists don't want to take the time to figure out how to do themselves. And because of that, it makes me more valuable as a producer because they don't see themselves as able to do that. Whereas I think a lot of rappers, I know a lot at school that they just decided to make their own trap beats because it's not as hard and it can save them money. So I think also you can become more valuable when you become, you step outside of the trap atmosphere and you go into different genres as a producer. I think there's a fine line there because like it's not that trap beats are more easy. It's easy to make 
uh, a simple trap beat. But once you hit like the certain threshold, then you can start adding in a bunch of different elements and making a more unique beat. Like making a very standard trap beat, yeah, it's easy. It takes you, what, five minutes, 10 minutes, if that, in FL Studio. But then to make something that's really quality and it's going to stand out and have its own unique sound in the subgenre of trap, like that's definitely going to take a lot more skill. And so like it just kind of like depends on where the artist is trying to go and what his intention with that particular song is. Because like, especially in this new era of where people consume music so, so insanely quick and we're more about singles and not about bodies of our apologies for the technical difficulties right here. His audio cut out for a couple seconds in a couple different places. So the audio gets a little bit choppy and the conversation doesn't flow super smooth here, but eventually it will straighten out and that'll be in about five minutes. So bear with us. Sorry for the technical difficulties, but we're back. We're good to go. So wonder, um, I wanted to ask you, what do you feel um, is like a failure you had to deal with and had to overcome that pertains to music? You had any big ones or not so much? I mean, nothing like that's not like a serious failure, but I mean, I feel like a lot of making music and promoting music is trial and error. I wouldn't call it like failure, but you have to make a lot of mistakes. I feel like unless you have someone that can show you basically how to do everything, but I didn't have that. So I don't think I've had any big failures, but it's been a lot of, you know, spending a lot of money on ads and finding out that that money was completely wasted because the money or the, the ad wasn't targeted correctly. Um, you know, in terms of music, just like doing things in my mixes that I probably shouldn't have done. Like I never, I didn't know what an EQ was. Um, so, I mean, it's a lot of small things, but there hasn't been anything that's been super major. Right. What about you? Um... I think one moment, uh, I think one moment for me that I felt like I was pretty disappointed by that I wouldn't necessarily call a failure, but I was just like majorly disappointed was uh, when I announced that my music was on Spotify because I put out three songs that before I announced it to people, just that like they had more than one song to go and listen to. And when I announced it, I think, I don't know, I got maybe like a hundred people to go and check it out. And like, that was kind of it. And I was like super disappointed with that. Um hundred people's a lot. I mean, I mean, it, yeah, it was, but I don't know. I was expecting more, I guess. I don't know. It just, it didn't feel like a lot. I was expecting more. It's like, I felt disappointed by it, but I mean, like you're right. It wasn't like awful. It wasn't terrible, but I guess I was just hoping for more and it didn't, it didn't happen. So I was just kind of frustrated with that. But I mean, I guess I can't really say I've had any big failures in music. It's just because I haven't really, I don't know, I haven't really set myself up for any failures, you know? Like everything so far has just been a process of knowing and growing and learning what I can learn just by trial and error and just doing. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Hopefully it won't happen again for the remainder of this particular episode. Um, so wonder, I wanted to ask you, what are some of your short-term goals? We're talking like the next six months, next year. Where are you hoping to be at? Um, I would like to get a placement. I think that'd be cool. What What do you consider a placement? Like how big do they have to be for it to be considered a placement for you? I feel like they have to be signed to a, a label. Okay. That's what, I, I don't know. That's kind of what I think. But obviously, like there's artists that are independent now that are bigger than artists signed to labels. So I don't know. But, yeah. Um, that that's a goal. I'm not like someone. I'm not a producer that's chasing a placement, but I think it'd be really cool to have a song with an established artist. That's definitely one of them. Um, I would like to hopefully hit. My goal is to be like somewhere between twenty to forty thousand subscribers by the end of next year. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, those are my. I definitely feel like that's manageable. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And Honestly, it grows. It kind of like compounds over time. So like it continues to just keep it. Yeah, busy. like I've heard from multiple multiple sources that hitting that first 1K is harder than any other milestone you're chasing. So now that you're at 5 or 6K, you're at 6K, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm closing in on 7. But um, what I've found is like what you said, it is, I mean, it, it's hard to get to 1k i would say that took me like three years and then it took me like two months to get to 2k so i do think that is true 
Yeah, so I don't think you're gonna have any trouble. I bet you could hit that 20k by the end of the school year, no problem, to be honest. But yeah, hard to say for sure what'll happen. Yeah, well, what I found is it kind of just it compounds. So I mean, like right now I'm growing by like 30 a day subscribers a day, and then but I mean like three months ago, 30. Yeah, I'm going by like 30 a day. 30. And so, but like three months ago, I was growing by like 17. So it just continues to grow, is what I found. Yeah. And do you feel like you're just growing on based off of having good beats and people are finding them and that's kind of that? Or like, what are you doing to help your YouTube grow? I mean, like I said, I run ads, which helps, but I think that it's become, I have a lot of beats out there now that are ranking in different areas, mostly pop, like artists. But I think that helps a lot. I think just having a bunch of beats out there that have been on the internet for a while, they're in different areas and YouTube's algorithm just kind of like makes them pop up every so often. And I think that helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. So, uh, that's short term. What are you, what are you looking long term, like five, 10 years down the road? Cause I know you'd said that you're more of a business oriented person. Uh, what kind of like business ideas do you have? Where are you trying to go with that? Well, yeah. So, in music, long term, I would like to have my own record label. I'd like to have my own studio. Um, I w- I'd like to like develop artists and stuff like that. I feel like that's where I'd want to go. Um, I think my like biggest overall goal would be to win a Grammy. And like I'm not someone that like puts an award on a pedestal, but I think that that's like one thing that would be really cool to do. And that's like the pinnacle of music in a way. Is like winning a Grammy as a producer. So I think that's probably my biggest goal um, long term. But I don't I don't see myself being on the internet producing forever. I don't want to be an internet producer forever. And I hope like with the next I'm hoping I get opportunities outside of the internet that will lead to more things in real life because I think it's it kind of boring and lonely just producing in a room alone. And from what I found in college, it's actually kind of fun to be in a room with a bunch of people making music. So I kind of hope to be off the internet within five to 10 years and being actually in studios and hopefully having my own studio. Right. What about you? Um, Long term for me, I think it's going to be being the artist that I want to see myself becoming. And that's going to be touring, being on stage, being the artist that people want to hear from, you know, like that's, that's the ultimate goal for me. And like, I do want to have um, a record label, but like I've been kind of questioning in the last couple of months, like, is it actually a record label that I want or do I just want to like bring artists under my wing and work with them? And like, is the record label the only way to do that? Because like, I mean, from where we're sitting right now, like the record labels are not the people you want to be. Like you want to be, or like they're not the people you want to know. You want to know like the playlisters and what we were talking about that earlier in the episode um, because they're the real gatekeepers of the music industry. So like, is a record label actually the best way to go about doing things as an up and coming artist? Like, once we're established, is that what we actually want to do? Is that going to be the best way to do it? So I've been kind of questioning that because I don't really know what the answer to that question is. Um, because I've always thought, like, yeah, I wanted a record label, but I don't know. I'm questioning if that's really the right move. But like you said, like, I definitely want to work with other artists and bring them up. But I mean, I think the first short, long-term goal, you know what I mean? Like, in the next three to five years, I definitely want to um, be touring and just seeing the country seeing the world because people want to see my music performed, you know? Um, what do you think, what do you think school plays into that for you? Um, honestly, school doesn't play into that at all. It, I think it's just yeah. kind of uh, a stepping stone. It's one of those things that I feel is important to have. And it's not even because I want to use my education in my career necessarily. I just feel like it's, I don't want to say a rite of passage because that's not really what the right word, but I don't know. I just feel like it's important to have. And I think moving into the future, it's something that I'm going to be glad that I worked for and achieved and attained, but I'm not necessarily sure that it's going to fit into anything other than getting in the way of music. You know what I mean? But I don't, it depends. Like if I were to pop off any in like in the next year, I would probably just drop out and then do like an online class or two every semester until I graduated. Um, but if I was like, if I had like a semester left and then I popped off and like was had opportunities, then I'd probably just be like putting them on hold until I finished school and then I would go and pursue that, you know? Yeah, that kind of reminds me of what Mike Posner did. You know who that is? 
I've definitely heard of him, but I'm not exactly sure what his story is. He he uh so he went to Duke and I think like in his like last year there, um he had that one song Cooler Than Me. And uh I just I remember hearing an interview with him and he said that uh he was like every weekend he was flying down to meet with like different labels and stuff, but he like he just wanted to finish school. And I I agree with what you say. I think it is kind of a rite of passage, even though that's not necessarily like it isn't, but at the same time, like in a mental way, you kind of feel like it's good to have. Yeah. So I get what you're you know, saying, there, and I agree with you. There's this kind of dystopian future on the horizon that I think could actually potentially happen. And that's, uh, like, you ever seen that Black Mirror episode where uh, people have social scores? I have not, but I, I, I get the premise, I think. Yeah. So, like, I think that legitimately could happen because I, I know, like, they're starting to implement that in, uh, some Asian countries, I think mainly China, but I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. In China, yeah, they have the like face recognition software. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't see that. I don't see people here putting up with that, but I'm sure they'll find some way to make it so you have to go along with it. Well, I think maybe that potential reality is not that far off on. And I think one of those things that would be important to have is an education. So I, I just kind of want that for worst case scenario in the future. But I don't know. I just, I think it's an important thing to have, even if it's, something that I'm struggling with uh, maintaining my motivation for right now, but I think it is important to have. So I definitely want to stick with it. Um, but it's hard to say. I don't think it aligns with my goals right now. And I'm trying to switch majors right now. Actually, I'm an engineering major, but I'm trying to switch to a different major. I'm not sure what that is yet, but just one that fits more I with what I wanted to do. You're not business? No. I wanted to be. Um, but then after you transfer in, it's really hard to transfer into the Mays School of Business, which is kind of frustrating. Because getting into it from high school was not nearly as hard. So that's frustrating, but it's cool. See, I think I'm getting a business degree. And I think that it, it's kind of, like some of the stuff we're doing isn't applicable. But there are principles that you learn just by being in the business school that do help. Yeah. In all facets of life and, and what you're doing with music. So I know you're talking about potentially transferring. Is that something you're still considering? Or are you still pretty set at Clemson right now? I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I love this. I think the school itself and like the academics part is really, it's really good. Um, but just the culture coming from Ohio and then going to, you know, the South, it's, I don't know. I don't really get along with a lot of the people there. I don't have similar views as them. So that's kind of frustrating. Um, I love the weather, but the weather's not, I, I'd rather meet good people consistently than have good weather yeah yeah definitely. so i don't know i'm i mean i don't know how it is in texas but i know if i transfer back to ohio i know the people here i know i have a lot of friends and i think it'd just be a lot easier to meet like-minded people because down there i don't know people just aren't i feel like it's not i don't want to stereotype but i don't feel like they're as motivated to do entrepreneurial things i think and I, th I don't know i like meeting people like that i think it's more of a, a school culture type of thing because like at AM, like there's definitely a lot of that but we definitely pride ourselves on being one of the most entrepreneurial colleges in the country. So we definitely have a lot of that spirit here. Even though it's not with everybody, there's definitely a lot of those type of people. So uh, it's definitely it definitely a school culture type thing that you're going to find at various places. And I don't know, how would you find out about that? Like I'm trying to think like if somebody is in high school right now trying to debate on which school they want to go to, how would you research that and figure out what that culture of the school is? That's the thing for me. When I went to visit Clemson, I got a different impression than what it actually is like to be there. Um, when I went, they you don't get the impression that it's a, have a frat oriented school. You don't get the impression that. Um, I guess Greek life kind of controls a lot of what goes on in the social atmosphere at Clemson, and you don't get that impression when you go. And I don't necessarily like that. I'm not a big fan of the Greek life. Um, but as in terms of like finding out if they're entrepreneurial. Clemson makes it look like they are. And in a lot of ways, like the professors and stuff are, but the, the people they attract, the students, they're not entrepreneurial. And I don't know how you would figure out what the culture is without actually going there. I saw this really interesting uh, little video on Instagram the other day. I don't know who the speaker is, and I keep seeing his videos on my Discover feed quite often now. Um, so I need to figure out who he is because I like a lot of what he says. But one of the things that he was asked was uh, how to pick a college if you want to be an entrepreneur. And what he said to do is to look at schools that invest or like have a ton of donors in their football program, because that just means that 
people are looking to are they they love their school so much they love the fact that they went to Texas A&M or Alabama or you know whatever school you went to they love the fact that you're from there so much they're willing to give you money for it so by being if you want to be an entrepreneur and you go to say Texas A&M then there's a lot of people out there who just for the fact that you're from Texas A&M will be more willing to give you money to do whatever it is your entrepreneurial um, venture is you know so I think that's a really good way to analyze things especially if you know for a fact you're trying to be an entrepreneur or you already have a business that's definitely a something to consider um, and then obviously like the quality of the, the particular degree or uh, department you're trying to look at or get into is super important. Um, but yeah, I don't know how to figure out. Oh, the yeah, culture I definitely things. agree with that. Because like, I, I, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that's really frustrated me is I, I don't want to say they kind of put on a fake facade when I went to visit, but in a lot of ways they do a lot of things when parents are there that they do not do when it's just students and it kind of feels fake in a way. Yeah. I definitely I definitely had a good experience with AM so far. It was my last choice school and has ended up being a really great fit as far as the atmosphere and community goes here. I think for me personally, like trying to do music, I could have gone to a better school um, with more people who are creative in that sense. But I, I, all things considered, I ended up with a really great situation. So I got pretty lucky that it worked out considering it was my last choice school. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, looking back on it now, I maybe I should have went to more of a liberal arts college that had more creative people, but I don't I don't see the value in getting a liberal arts degree because I just I mean, in some aspects it can, but like a lot of that stuff, it just depends on how creative you are. And I mean, yes, they can give you tools to be more creative, but I think with a business degree, it's more one. There's always going to be jobs and business and finance and the stuff that I'm going into. But I think it's also very applicable to running your own businesses, knowing how to do the accounting, doing the financing, doing the marketing. So I like, I'm happy with the academics, but I'm just meeting people there. It's not hard to meet people, but it's hard to meet people that I think have similar views and similar mindset that I do. What town is Clemson located in? Is it like a college town or is it a bigger city? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's in Clemson. Like that's the that's the town. Okay, so that's like that's all that's there. But yeah, yeah. It's like do you know where Greenville, South Carolina is? No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, it's like two hours, um, away from Atlanta. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's a. I think there's like twenty thousand students there, so I mean, it's not like a huge school, but yeah, it's a college town, and it's really big in football. Yeah, that's. Oh, yeah, because we played you guys. Yeah, that, that was funny. I, I definitely was hoping to score a collab out of just the fact that I could hit you up and be like, hey, you're going to Clemson? I'm going to a We're playing each other this week. And that was, I definitely ha- saw an opportunity there one say to hit you up with that. But um, yeah, picking a school is definitely not an easy process. And like, it, it's kind of a toss up, man. Because like, like you said, schools are going to put on a side. They definitely, it's a business. They want you to go to pick at their school and spend your money there. So they're just going to do whatever they can to get you there. So definitely a hard process. Um, so I kind of, but yeah, transferring wise, I, I don't know. It'd either be back in Ohio or I'd be trying to get into a better school, but I don't know. It's right. Yeah. I probably wouldn't. I'd, if I would transfer, I'd probably come back home or Ohio in general, not like home. home. Right. Yeah. Um, Man, I guess I can't think of any more questions that I, I really want to ask you right now. So why don't you uh, go ahead and drop your socials and know, let people know where they can find you and hit you up and buy some beats if they're interested, you know? Yeah, so uh, YouTube, it's just Beats by Wonder. Um, I'm pretty sure my Instagram, Beats by Wonder. Yeah. Uh, I think everything's be- just at Beats by Wonder. So yeah, I mean, or you can go to www.beatsbywonder.com. But I mean, yeah, if you just look up Beats by Wonder, you should be able to find me. And if pretty much anywhere. If somebody wanted to get started with music tomorrow, man, they hear this podcast and they're like, you know what? I want to do music. What advice would you give them? Um, like as, as a producer or as an artist? Uh I was thinking producer, but like maybe if you have advice for both. Well, I think for a producer. Honestly, my, my biggest advice would be to find your sound, but don't like, 
I don't, it kind of has to happen organically in terms of finding your own sound. But I think once you find your sound, I think you should focus on that. Because if you spread yourself too thin, then it'll be a lot harder to gain an audience. Because I make a lot of sales just because people know me as the person that makes Khalid type beats. And even though that's not necessarily what I'm trying to stay in, it's helped me grow a good base. And now I can start branching out and doing other styles. But I think you should try to build off of one style before you try to do a bunch of different styles. So find the one that works best for you. Find the one that if you're trying to make money, sells. And I think once you build up a following in that area, you can start branching off. But I think that's very important. And I think I wasted a lot of time trying to make what I thought was popular and what was selling. But in reality, it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of saturation. You have to look where there's not a lot of people and you have to look at where you think you can have the most fun one making beats, but also um, build something for yourself that isn't already being done by a bunch of other people. And I think if you do that earlier, you will save yourself a lot of time. And um, I don't necessarily have a good idea for what you would do for an artist, but I think one thing that I see a lot of people doing is not... I don't want to say that they're not experimenting, but I feel like a lot of people are trying to be that SoundCloud rapper right now. And I get that that's popular, but I think it's overdone. And I remember, you know, Lyrical Lemonade, yeah. um, the guy that does that. I think he even said that like SoundCloud rappers, it's kind of overdone at this point. And I think that the next wave will be something that hasn't started yet, but I think it will be completely different. So I think you got to do something different. I'm not saying you can't blow up, but I mean... Again, it just goes back to being unique and doing something that stands out. And I'd also say, I think it's really important for artists to learn the production side of things. I think a lot of artists that don't learn how to produce for themselves, I'm not saying you need to produce every single beat like Russ does or whatever, but I'm saying you should know how to use a DAW. You should know, you should be able to speak the language of a producer. I think that will help get your creative ideas out if you're working with a producer. And I think just know, I think that's what you're doing. You're learning, you're teaching yourself how to produce. I think it's really important now for artists to do both. What about you? What, what's your advice? I mean, honestly, I'm just going to branch off of that because that was really solid advice. And I'm going to take some of that and implement it myself. But I think the one area that I would expand on um, is something that I struggled with big time uh, about a year ago. And that's, I didn't make music that I was happy with. Like I would listen to it and I think it was a good song and I would put it out and then I would never want or feel the urge to go and hit play again. And I realized after about seven songs of doing that, if I'm never going to go listen to it again, why the hell would anybody else? You have to be very happy with the music that you're putting out. You have to love your music to death. Russ talks about this all the time, bro. You have to believe in yourself to no end. Like you have to believe that you were the greatest thing to ever happen. You have, you have to realize that and also realize that you're still very young. You still have a lot of learning to do. You're very inexperienced. So there's still lots of learning to do, but you have to totally believe in what you're putting out the moment you put it out. Because if you don't believe in it, if you don't listen to it, if you wouldn't listen to it for fun on your own time, nobody else will either. Um, so that's that's kind of the biggest piece of advice I can give you going off what you said. And yeah, and, and going back to what you just said with the Rust thing, it, it kind of, it blows me away that a lot of artists don't do what he did. Because it's such a guaranteed way to be successful. He just st- he put out what I think a song a week for four years or something. I mean like, that process that I'm process only lasted one year where he did a song a week. It only lasted. Still, just doing that, like some yeah. artists, I see them. They're really good. They drop one song every four months or something, and like the, I don't I don't know. I just feel like you got you got it in our our time. You have to be in people's faces a lot more than in previous decades. And I think the only way to do that is by posting consistently. Yeah, And I get it's hard to make good music consistently, but if you can do that, like that's the surefire way to success if you do it over a long period of time. Yeah, I I agree with that entirely. And I've definitely, when I was starting out making music, I definitely wanted to make body of works. And then I dropped an EP and the only song that got played was the first song. And I was like, you know what? Like Russ was right. You can't release bodies of work. You have to go. Um, for singles and like it kind of sucks for somebody who wants to make bodies of work who tell a story and do stuff like that but unless you're like honest to god on some Shakespeare type of like level and like that type of story storytelling 
Like you need to just be releasing singles because it gets the attention. And that's the currency of today. It's attention. It's not anything else. Um, it's it's just, do you have people's attention or not? That's the that's what it comes down to. That's the important factor there. So um, the best way to do that is like you're saying, putting out music consistently and not just as sporadically or whenever you make it. It needs to be getting out on a consistent basis in order to garner that fan base and do really well. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I think that's some really great advice. Yeah. And I think, and I'm not like, I'm not a huge Russ fan. I don't, I don't really get why a bunch of people like hate on him. I like what he did is really impressive. And I, I like, I, I think it's cool, but um, I think a lot of artists should take after what he did, even if they don't like their music. I mean, the fact that he mix mastered all that stuff, I think a lot of artists need to learn how to be more than just an artist because i mean i know as myself as an internet producer we're a lot more than just producing we do the engineering we mix it we try you know we do a lot more than just make the beat and so i think a yeah. lot of artists need to start doing not not necessarily everything but they need to have they need to be able to speak the language of a producer and they need to be able to as well as being a marketer because i mean today like you need to be able to do everything regardless you need to be able to market you need to do social media and you need to do you know not necessarily the production, but you need to like have a general idea. And I think if you don't, then you're just relying on people to make things work for you. And that's not going to happen. I don't think unless you're just super talented. At some, at some point, somebody will do that stuff for you. But that process is so far away. Like you're yeah. light years away from somebody else wanting to do that process for you of wanting to market you for you like you have to put yeah. in so much work before that you have to get so freaking good at what you're trying to do before that that you need to understand everything and i think the way you're putting it like you need to be able to speak the language is super important because like if i'm trying to get in the studio with an artist and he doesn't understand how to work a dog he's like well can you do this can you do that and i'm like no nah, dude i have no idea what the hell you're you're trying to tell me right now like you're making oh, zero yeah, sense when I, when in, you don't understand it yeah I'm in college right now i'll get into the studio or, which is my dorm room <laughs> but um uh and they'll just be, tr they'll try to get their ideas out, but like, and it's really hard to figure out what they're trying to say when in reality, if they just wanted, like they'll, they'll say all this stuff. And in reality, all they had to say was, I want a low pass filter on this, you know, or I want to yeah. pan this way and this way, you know, but it's just small things that if they just took a little bit of time to figure out, it would help them. I think it would help them a lot when they get into the studio and because they just they use so many words to say so little when in reality or they use they just don't they could easily just say you know i want an eq here i want reverb here but they don't know the the terminology and that can hold back the creative process in the studio and that's what i found so i think that's definitely one of the biggest keys for an artist that's trying to get going now is to know um the different terminologies and also you know i think nobody's gonna want it for you as bad as you do so you kind of have to you know, do everything, especially at, at the jump. Yeah, I 100% agree. And this idea can definitely be translated to anything else. Oh, like yeah. right now, I'm thinking like if you want to be a model and you're, you're a pretty girl, or you're a pretty dude, you just want to be a model, like great, good for you. Go go be a model then. And then you get in front of the camera and the photographer's like, hey, go stand here. And you're like, wait, why? It's because like the sunlight's hitting you right here and the angle's like this. And But if you don't understand that because you've never been behind the camera, then you're not going to understand and that idea and that translation is going to be lost there. So being well-versed in both sides of it is super important. The same goes for the photographer, man. The photographer needs to get in front of the camera so they can understand how it feels to look at a camera or to look away from the camera and how to set your, your own angles up so that when you're shooting a model, then you can tell them how to sit, how to stand, how to look, how to position this particular body part or whatever, you know? And the idea, it translates to every industry that you need to be well-versed in multiple roles, not just the one that you're actually pursuing. Yeah, and I think a lot, really advice. I like that a lot. Yeah, and I think something that a lot of producers do when they're making their beats is they like, they kind of rap on it. They kind of sing on it to like, just see how it flows. And I think that goes back to the idea of the photographer getting in front of the camera. The producer doesn't necessarily have to like rap on the beat, but I feel like a lot of producers do like kind of feel different flows while they're making the beat. So that kind of goes back to that idea. But another thing I think a lot of artists should do is document just their creative process. Like I know there's a lot of up and coming artists that I see on SoundCloud and stuff that make really good music. And I think if they vlogged, like I would actually watch it. And I think a lot of other people would too. So I don't get, I don't get why a lot of artists don't do that. But I think that's something that could be really cool too. Yeah, I agree. I agree.
So uh, thanks for tuning in to this episode, guys. We had a really great time. Wonder, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, I hope somewhere down the line, we get to have you back on as a guest again. And we get to see your progress because I'm super excited to see where you go in the future, man. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So hit us up on social media at underscore always create. Let us know uh, if you like the episode. Let us know if you don't and tell us why you think that it could be improved or how you think it could be improved. Uh, and leave us a review on the Apple podcasting app. It means a lot to us. Use the hashtag how I create. Let us know how you create for yourself in, in your everyday life. And Chase and I will definitely get back to you because we love hearing about that stuff. Yeah, and I'm just so going to say sorry. My audio might oh. not be that great. So if the audio is not good, please nah. don't, don't tear nah, me up No, we're good. That. We're totally good. <laughs> um, but yeah, th- right. thanks so for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Until next time, guys.